Hello, 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 everybody. It's so great to be here with everybody today at this live cast. This is Informed Consent with Dr. Chris Martinson. Thank you for being here. It's good to be with you today. And we are going to do our level best to bring in a lot more of the viewers today in the comments. So get ready to leave your comments and, and be part of this because that's the point of having a live cast. So um, we're going to do that. And with me today is the inestimable <laughs> Evie Batalo. Hi, Evie. Hey, how you doing tonight? It's good. We're just going to move this a little closer in. Uh, so, all right. Like and in the studio tonight, uh, Aaron, of course, and also Ryan. Ryan's with us tonight, and we got the rest of our team out there monitoring and watching what's going on. So, got a really good show. What are we talking about today? Hey, we have to talk about... Uh, well, this is called Divided We Fall. And, and it, there's... Is it intentional? Or is it ignorant malice uh you know or is it just pure malice or is it just ignorance we don't know but we're trying to figure out what's going on in this world and of course you know here at peak prosperity and on this show for informed consent we're going to do our level best to use our common sense to figure out what's going on so i tend to be a really early to things that's my superpower i have a comcast connection i use it judiciously and and extensively to figure out what's going on i would say that the reason that I'm able to do what I do is that for whatever reason, I can hold on to concepts really lightly. I can try them on, I can let them go. And I'm really comfortable letting the data tell me what's going on. Now, what this is one of, has to be one of the most confusing periods of time that I've been alive. And I've been tracking this a long time and calling for this. A piece of work that I did that came out in 2008 is called The Crash Course. Many of you possibly have seen that. If you haven't, you really should. The Crash Course weaves together economy, energy, environment as a series of systems and makes some conclusions off of that, which are really not predictions, they're extrapolations. A lot of what we're seeing today, I was calling for the monetary printing that was gonna to lead to these massive bubbles, saw that coming. The, of course, Plutarch himself, a couple thousand years ago, said the oldest and most fatal ailment of all republics is an imbalance between the rich and the poor. That was an easy sort of prediction to make that we were going to have this huge wealth gaps going on. I didn't know it was going to go this crazy far. And then finally, where we are with respect to the energy story, the energy crises we have today, if you don't know about these, these are the most explanatory, the most predictive things that can possibly happen to understand because what's happening here around energy, like we see the diesel shortages on the East Coast right now, or the natural gas, coal, and even oil shortages that are stalking Europe right now, these things are going to take the economy and just shred it. Once you understand that system connection between energy and the economy, you understand that it's actually the economy that's a subset of energy, not the other way around. How it's commonly presented, how it's used, it's a dogma that's all wrong. I've gotten in real arguments, real arguments, almost raised voice arguments with economists, you know, the, the actual real functioning economists. I'm not an economist, but... <clears throat> I play one on the internet. Uh, but I mean, economists, this is their job. And they get offended when I tell them that you can't grow forever on a finite planet. It's grade school logic, but their whole dogma would fall apart. And so all of their training might become useless and all of their studying and maybe their paycheck. So they get really defensive around this idea of explaining to them or pointing out to them that you can't grow forever on a finite planet. Well, that's where we are. We're hitting that boundary of growth right now and it's very awkward and very uncomfortable. And unfortunately, nobody in power seems to know what to do about it. And particularly in Europe, bunch of knuckleheads there. So oh, we'll just cut off Russian oil, Russian natural gas, Russian coal. We don't need it. We'll just pass laws. 
right? Like Germany, Germany passed a law that said it's now a law that the natural gas storage there has to be full. Great. <laughs> passed the law. <laughs> That'll make all the difference. <laughs> yeah. All right. So um, with that as sort of a preamble, this is informed consent. This is meant to be a live cast. Here we are. We're in the studio and we're going to be bringing live studio feeds in and we're going to be talking about things. This is I don't have huge, thoughtful giant presentations that I put together because I put yeah, a lot of work into my well I always do I was you know me I got you can't help yourself I can't talk <laughs> I cannot talk without PowerPoint slides you know this about me now so that's how it is so I love that about you I think you're you're our listeners do too right but I think for some people have said hey this doesn't seem to be quite as coalesced as your other ones those other ones I put a lot of work into right I, know. I put hours and hours and hours into being able to present something cleanly and, and quickly around whatever it is I've been talking about when it comes to COVID, mm-hmm. economy, energy, environment, that kind of stuff. But today, this divided we fall, we have to talk about what I consider to be an important framing concept. All so right. let's explore this together, shall we? The important framing, con- I like framing concepts. What's a framing concept? A framing concept is something that will allow you to hold that point of view as a frame that then you can dangle bits of data off of. And maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. If it does, great. Congratulations. Um, If it doesn't, (laughs) oops, try again. So here's a piece of framing. Let's go right into it. Um, This is one I put up a while ago. If you haven't seen this one, I highly recommend checking this one out. This is Rats in a Cage. Uh, My admonishment was don't be one. This came out July of 2021. So This one's great. This is a good one. This is a really good one. By the way, I, I've noticed between you and I that we like when we're stressed out, when stuff is happening around us, like I've seen this in action. Basically, yeah. we actually fight with each other as opposed to sort of solving problems. Differently. Right. And this is a cultural thing that happens. So what is what is the rats in a cage theory? So for those of you who haven't seen it, I'll just step through it very quickly. I highly recommend watching that episode. Uh, easy to find in our Peak Prosperity channel easy to find in our videos. Just go to videos, check it out. It's about eight, nine months ago, I guess, back there uh, in July of last year. So here's how it goes. Uh, Ryan, bring this slide up. So here, here's how here's how this goes. Lots of experiments have been done by researchers, and we can debate whether this was ethical research or not, but it's called shock-induced aggression. And the experiment goes like this. You take a single rat, you put it into a cage, you can't get any escape from that cage, it's held in this cage, and mm-hmm. the floor of this cage is all metal. There's nothing to climb up on. There's no water tray. There's no little bars. It's just a plain metal box. And the bottom of the box can be shocked. And when they put that shock in through the bottom, it's very unpleasant. The rat really hates it, but nothing really happens. The rat will become stressed. It will maybe lick itself compulsively. It'll cl- curl up in a little ball. But that's about all that will happen now. Well, what happens when we put... That's really sad, too. It is sad. For the animal lovers out there. It, it, it is, yeah, it's ethically challenging. It is, but that's because we have ethics. I'm not sure what I just saw our cat do with the little bunny the other day was, was ethical by no, our standards. Right. That's true. <laughs> Sometimes, I know. It, it's out there. I'm just... I agree. You know. I agree. So, leaving the ethics aside We're for a moment. Heartless. The trouble in this story <laughs> starts when, when there are two rats in a cage. So, same experiment... Same shock floor, same inability to escape from those shocks, and you put a second rat in. Now, why is this a bad thing? Well, what happens is the two rats are stressed, but now they have somebody to blame for the trouble and pain they're experiencing 
They point their little equivalent of, of rat fingers at each other and they will fight. And if you keep this up long enough and you keep shocking them, they will keep fighting, maybe even fight to the death. So what's the metaphor here? Well, it's not really a metaphor. This experiment has been rerun on primates. It's been rerun on dogs. Any social creature will experience the same thing. It's called shock-induced aggression. Okay, it works on humans too. And so the essence of shock-induced aggression, and of course they studied this, the military studied this, psychologists studied this, I'm sure the CIA studied this. Why? Because they're very interested in how you can take people and get them to turn on each other. It's, a, it's an important thing. Like if you could figure out how to get two tribes in Libya to turn on each other rather than you, that would be, I guess, in somebody's best interest. Um, it's, it explains why when the British and the French were then or when they were in their colonial stages, they would draw funny shaped boxes around 10 or 12 different tribes because it's easier to rule over divided nations, divided peoples. Mm -hmm. um, so that was actually an, a very old Roman precept. Um, you would rule by dividing. So it's it, that's where shock-induced aggression comes in because you want the rats in the cage turning on each other not the scientists in this metaphor or not the rulers. So we see this shock-induced aggression happening all over the place today. And so the element of it, the thing that's important is that the animal being shocked, they don't know, they can't suss out who's responsible, where the shock's coming from. No. They, have, they have to blame the other organet, the other rat, the other human, the other primate. That's how it works best. So the rats can't suss out that the shocks are being administered, you know, by somebody out there pressing a button. In fact, they might be able to figure it out if they saw somebody pressing a button, but because they're pretty smart. But anyway, they, they would set the experiment up that the rats couldn't see where the shocks were coming from. All right. So today, people are being shocked, being shocked in all sorts of different ways. And mm -hmm. not necessarily like um, <clears throat> li um, <laughs> literally, but. Uh, figuratively, right? Well, it, yes, but it depends how literal you want to get. I consider it shocking that the middle class lost $3.9 trillion of wealth mm -hmm. during the uh, COVID response, and the top few billionaires gained $3.9 trillion of wealth, more or less. Mm -hmm. That's shocking. I consider it shocking that any corporation can, de can declare bankruptcy. Chapter 11, Chapter 13, Chapter 7, they can decide what's best for them. But a student who's taken on loans cannot go through bankruptcy court and ever get that bank that, that loan discharged. Mm. It's shocking that a nation would treat its young, preferentially its young. Mm -hmm. I'm not aware of any other debts that are non-dischargeable in court. Just that one, student debt. Mm. There might be a couple others, I'm sure, at the crevices, but, but that's it. Because somebody made the decision at one point, you know what? We wouldn't want our young coming away with a bad idea. Let's make sure that when they get into debt, it's permanent, right? <laughs> That's shocking. It's shocking. You know what shocked me today? What? This one really hurts me. So in spring, one of the first things that comes out that uh, the bees feast on is dandelions. Mm -hmm. They come up really early, and a lot of people fight them in their lawns. They consider them a weed, but not me. I consider it nature's one of nature's very first for sources of pollen. Mm -hmm. So today they were out because we had four cold days of rain and today the sun was out, 70 degrees. So I go out because I, I do this and I say, well, who's on here? Normally, when I was a kid, those first flowers are really important sources of food mm -hmm. for the bees. So there would be 
three or four different types of bumblebees, the big giant ones, some little smaller ones. There would be honeybees, of course. There would be these things called minor bees, which are little tiny bees with green backs and different colors. And no bees. Zero. Zero, zero bees. Zero bees. In the I, mid-70s here? Zero. That's crazy. No bumblebees, no honeybees. I saw one tiny minor bee. That was at one. This is a silent spring. So we've we've just done something. Again, I, I blame neonicotinoid pesticides. Mm-hmm. Could be a variety of other things, but they're really bad. And so yeah. we're not, you see anybody protesting that? Were there any like giant protests or people like burning anything down because the EPA just extended neonics for another 15 years the other day? No, but we should be because if insects go away, so do humans. Yeah, I consider that shocking. To me, that's shocking. That is shocking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. And as a reminder, uh, let's come back. Yeah. Perfect timing on that. So um, I don't do left, right. I lost I lost all my all my ability to be interested in left, right politics. Uh, and I do up, down now. And the up, down that makes a lot of sense to me at the top up there is integrity. And down below is ideological rigidity. Hmm. There's a lot of ways we could things we could put on that up, down axis. But I like that one. So integrity Integrity on one level is you mean what you say, you say what you mean. Mm-hmm. Your words and your actions match. Um, but another one is that you have real integrity, meaning you are solid in your core when you are ready to be re-educated at any moment. Mm-hmm. So my highest form of integrity in the work that I do is when I find new data, I'll change who I am. Right? I'll change my point of view mm-hmm. around something. I will right. change how I see the world. But, you know... If your entire life is all about, you know, oh, no, you know, uh, this la- this virus could never have come from a lab. It had to come from nature. You have that rigid point of view as your starting point. Mm. Right. You can't get any closer to the truth. How's that different from an echo chamber? You know how people talk about that. If you're finding if you're having point of views that only are consistent with your own, that it's it tends to reinforce that. Are you. I think you're immune to that. <laughs> well, I'm not but just I immune know. to it. I work, very, I work very hard to avoid that. So I okay. actually have several alter egos set up on various social media things because I, I want, I don't, and I don't, I make sure that they're not getting boxed. But they do. They, they fundamentally get boxed. But if you pick one that just goes out and clicks on Ukrainian flags and little jabs, you know, right, same, right. symbols, you end up with a feed of information that's very different from one than if you go out and you know you click on and select different things and what you what you read. So I like to I like to that's great. I like to know what's going on across the whole map. Um, that's a great experiment. I just had to ask. Yeah. So well, it's a trick I do because I, I I know how easy that boxing you're talking about. Yeah. That boxing really happens very quickly because the social media algorithms figure out who you are. I know it. And then they feed you that stuff over and over and over again. Right. So I think that, it happens everywhere. Mm-hmm. Like if you go looking for something on Amazon too, oddly they suggest things that seem to be right up your alley in terms of what you might S- like. Or scary good sometimes. It, it is. It yep. really is. Yep. Yeah, I do what you do in my own little way. I turn on NPR every now and then and test myself. <laughs> <laughs> That's my personal litmus. I'm like, how do I feel about what they're saying? And do yeah. I fe- do I hear inflections of their own bias, you know? Yeah. Because it's supposed to be news. I mean, I was brought up with, you know, listening to that every yeah. evening. It was on during supper time, you know, listening to the, like, music that it starts with at night, um, Marketplace and, you know, all those things. So, I heard I heard a rumor that you actually were listening to NPR today. 
Oh, there, how did that go? My ears were bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. My, I was grinding my teeth. I wasn't sure if it was that or I was coming back from a dentist appointment anyway. So I don't know. Yeah. It, was, it was a little painful, to be honest. Why is that? Um, because I, I have a nostalgia for these people. I mean, I've heard some of these individuals' voices. Some of the hosts on there have been hosting my entire life, right? Um, they're in their 80s now, and they were just starting or in the middle of their careers when, when I began listening to it. So it's it's hard to listen to it and not feel sort of sad um, that it's something I can no longer really trust as a, as a source. Um, but I, I like it because it, it does give me the other side, so then I can understand where the people that disagree with me are coming from um, in terms of what they're you know, getting pummeled with 24-7. Well, something for me has happened uh, in the last few years. It's really accelerated, but it's been going on since I remember where I first really lost my way with mm-hmm. NPR because I listened to them. I listened. To all, I didn't really, and I didn't really, it didn't really bother me. And then there was a day I got offended, and I haven't been able to go back. Um, and so one of the things that I was doing back in two thousand two and three was I had analyzed. So this is the kind of guy I am. Um, when we were going into that Iraq war post 9-11, mm-hmm. and there was this big rush to get into Iraq and attack Iraq, mm-hmm. right? And I was WMDs. like, well, why? Why are we, at, why, why? They, they're, they're like, it's, if you understand the difference between Shia and Sunni, you would understand that they weren't even remotely responsible for mm-hmm. the people who were named as the hijackers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was a little confused by the whole thing. And then I actually read this giant report by the UN SCOM, which was the UN, um, uh, people who are looking into WMDs from the prior Iraq-Iran war. And they had all the receipts, right? They had them. They had all the receipts. Wow. Big, giant report. And you fish <laughs> through and you find out people don't just make WMDs. Like, if you want to make something, you need reactor vessels and special pumps and valves and hoodies and gloves and reagents. You, you don't just sort it's of... like a big lab. You don't make these things. And by the way, Iraq couldn't make any of these things themselves, so they had to buy the equipment from who? Germany, United States, you know, all over. Right, and they're so in the they, records. They literally had all the records. They added it up, all the precursor chemicals, and I knew exactly that what my country was saying as the rationale mm-hmm. was, was were lies. Mm-hmm. I knew that. I knew that flat out back then, and I could prove it, right? And, I, mm-hmm. and that turned out actually more or less to be accurate, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, you're right. I did. Um, so that's where I got started on this whole, whole thing was that, that was my first, I remember I went toe to toe with this congressman at an outdoor event. <laughs> Who was that? Guy's name not was, be named. um, Bob Simmons. Okay. Uh, yep. From my district, I lived in Mystic, Connecticut at the time. And, uh, I remember he, he, he can't, I had organized with some other people, an actual protest rally. And, and, and I wanted to be smart about it because you see these protest rallies and there's like people with dreadlocks and. They've got 47 things that they've been scratching onto a sign because they've been out there in the corner. They don't talk to each other. So I was like, let's be corporate about this. So I actually made every sign. And I didn't say Iraq. With your nope. chicken scratch? Well, no, I had some people help me oh. print them up. But we made a bunch of signs. And the <laughs> sign said, um, didn't say no blood for oil and that inflammatory stuff. I wrote more neutral stuff like Iraq, what's the rush? Because mm-hmm. that, that was that's a decent question, right? Iraq, yeah. what's the rush? That's true. Um, at any rate... Uh, and then we had, for every sign, we had a flag, because this is about what's best for my country. I didn't want to see my country go into a very expensive war for no reason. Mm. I considered that my right as a citizen. So this whole thing had come up, and Bob, this is right in Bob Simmons' 
congressional district. So he thought, well, let me come on. And he gets up on the stage and he tells this crap. Well, I'm on the House Intelligence Committee, and I can tell you that this gentleman over here doesn't know what he's talking about. Oh. Yeah, so I pulled out my little bullhorn, and I said, this man is lying. I actually have, if he has, I have the receipts. I've seen the reports. If you have info, and I called him out right there in public in front of his people. I said, if you have the data, mm-hmm. you, you'd have to share it with us. Oh, well, that would be, that would be uh, secret, secret stuff. That's classified information. <laughs> What's classified about 20-year-old? So it could be embarrassing information, right? Because we sold the equipment and the precursors, maybe, but it's not classified. Right. Like, we deserve to know. Like, bring it out. This is serious. People are going to die on both sides. Mm -hmm. It's going to cost a lot of money. There's no such thing as, oh, we can't tell you why we're going to war. That's classified. I said, that's crap, right? Anyway, this guy's eyes were dead. Dead. I mean, really scary dead. He came right up at one point and said, you don't know what kind of trouble you're getting into here, right? Silent, you know. When So anyway, I looked him up later, and I was like, oh, shit. This guy was in charge of Operation Phoenix, which at the time in the Vietnam War was known as the Roach Motel. Oh People my. would go into this prison and never come back out. This guy was in charge of a torture program. Oh, great. So I realized I was a little bit over my head, so that was my first political understanding. Like, oh, I should be more careful. <laughs> <laughs> and you've proceeded not to change at all. No, I have not. Um that's all right. All right. Before we go to that, I see that's awesome super chat question. I'd love to get to that. Let's go to this. Let's check this out. So I didn't make this Venn diagram. I would probably change a few things around, but it fundamentally gets my point across, so I like it. Which is that I this is why I don't do left right. I love this. Look at all the stuff that they're in complete, you know, agreement around. So called left versus right. Total support for Israel, doing Wall Street's bidding, unlimited military spending. Hostility to Russia, Iran, China, full spectrum dominance. Da, 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 da. They're, they're all in lockstep around these things. Mm-hmm. And I then, and then there's Republicans. There's some stuff about pro life and guns over here and denying climate change, and some stuff about abortion, pro choice on that side. Acknowledge climate change, but do nothing about it. That's how I see it. I don't see any difference. Yeah, I don't. I don't no, nothing either, fundamental yeah. different. Like I, where are the bees on this? Nobody cares about the bees. I care about the bees. Like mm-hmm. losing the bees is. We're gonna look back and someday go. That was stupid. It was really dumb. Yeah. Really dumb. I think you're right. We're using the last of our oil to get the economy to grow and, you know, make sure Ford's F-150 sales are up a little higher this year. It's dumb. It is dumb. Well, you know how, um, I believe it was, was it Stephen Jenkinson that talked about how someday somebody younger, if we're lucky, would come up to us in and ask us some really important questions. Do you remember that whole Stephen thing? Jenkinson, the philosopher? The philosopher, yes. Uh-huh. Um, I, I love him. He's great. But I believe that one of the things I remember him mentioning, and um, don't quote me on it exactly, but it was something along the lines of, um, we can't solve the problems that we have with the same things that got us in this mess. So to, to the extent that as people we're sort of used to our way of life and our brain is sort of hypnotically in certain types of patterns i just don't even know if we can see those things well, what are those two right questions <laughs> uh when did you know and what did you do about it meaning yeah when did you know that the full extent of this rocked me when he said that crisis, i remember right where it? i was sitting i remember right when he said it i was in an auditorium i was listening to him was that when we went to see him live? Yeah, in um, Turner's Falls, Mass, at uh, Night of Grief and Mystery Tour. Mm-hmm. And it's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. They had music and poetry and thoughtful sort of philosophical musings. But he did. He had a story. He said, if you've lived your life well and you reach 
the time of becoming an elder, not an older. Mm-hmm. You have an appropriate level of wisdom and you carry yourself in a certain way. A younger person or persons will approach you at some point and they'll ask you two questions. Yep. When did you know and what did you do about it? Yep. I remember that. And you left those hanging and open. When did you know about what? You know, but it might have been when did you know about the bees? When did you know about the Federal Reserve printing? When did you know about the fact that this was a big scam being run mm-hmm. on everybody? You know, mm-hmm. when did you know this was all an unsustainable mess? When did you know the soil was being turned into dirt? Whatever that the, the things were, when did you know? Right. When did yeah. you know that you're getting shocked <laughs> like the rats in a cage and getting distracted from the real issues at hand? Right? Yeah. So so this is like the when did you know? Perfect segue because I, I love this. So so. I mean, have you noticed? Um, you can find protests now. There's some erupting right now in the United States because there was a leaked position paper mm-hmm. around a draft of an opinion around Roe v. Wade coming out of the Supreme Court. Yeah, I heard about that. Leaks out, and now there's just like there's you know lots of people are rioting and and being very up, unhappy. That's we might say. Have you noticed left right people people get into left right riots all the time now, right? Yeah, they do, actually. You see that a lot. Mm-hmm. Or or did you see this? Um, you might see old versus young, you know, set against each other in certain ways. Okay, boomer. Yep. Okay. Okay. <laughs> or whatever. Millennial, right? Whatever. <laughs> or the yep. BLM versus the police. Remember, defund the police. You know, it's like, it's it's always framed this way, which I consider kind of this way. It's kind of left-right axis-y. Yeah, but you know what I haven't seen? So I this is what I do in the world. I notice sins of omission and commission. What's the sin of omission in this story? What's missing? Why haven't I ever seen a damn riot around the healthcare racket? A million families went bankrupt last year due to medical bills. You know how many go bankrupt in Europe? Zero. Canada? Zero. In the United States, a million families get bankrupted. So if, if you said, oh my gosh, terrorists came in and destroyed 500,000 families, you'd be like, nuke them. You know? It'd be a, like a really serious response. You never see... There's you like. Don't. This could this could this could easily be a a, a protest. Oh, absolutely! Why so not? So much misery, so much misery is up there in the healthcare racket that we've run on ourselves. Oh. Horrific misery. Financial misery, outcome misery. Yeah. Just failed procedures, drugs with crappy side prescriptions effects. Prescriptions that just ugh, it's just going bankrupt. If there was something that was worth getting a little little steamy about, that'd be mine. <laughs> My that's too. that's it. Uh, I think we should absolutely. So, but why not? Why don't we see those? I don't. I don't know if we're just enmeshed, hmm. or they've got. They also have a lid on things. I mean, we saw what happened with COVID, right? So you couldn't get information about ivermectin or anything else like it, right? Or remdesivir. I mean, everything was just sort of locked down in terms of what was actually happening. I would submit to you that our cage is that good. Yeah, they don't. They've. We haven't been told to be shocked about it, so we're not shocked about it. As part of it, how about this one? Um, the Federal Reserve is busy shoveling money to the top 0.1 percent. To be honest about it, but the one percent shoveling money. Mm-hmm. So all this now they're like trying to pretend like, oh, this isn't. You know, this in- inflation. It's troubling us. That's not troubling. They were specifically trying to create inflation as a point of their policy. They, as a policy, they're creating inflation. So what is inflation? Inflation is the money I've saved in a bank account is nibbled away. Well, that was purchasing power, and it got nibbled away. Where'd it go? 
<laughs> went somewhere. Where'd it go? It yeah. went to them. That's the point. So when we say, oh, it's this mysterious thing that these billionaires got so wealthy and everybody else got a little poorer, that's a policy. It's a policy that that happened. So Jay Pants on Fire Powell is busy trying to pretend like he's this affable gentleman who just cares about price stability and full employment. No, he doesn't. He cares about making sure that the wealth of the nation is shoveled preferentially from the many to the few. I call him reverse Robin Hood, right? Robin Hood took from the few to give to the many. Jay Powell represents the organization that takes from the many to give to the few. Why, 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 why aren't there... Why aren't there protests about that? I mean, it's, it's really destructive. Families are destroyed by this. I know. Futures are destroyed by this. Pensioners, retirees. In my perfect world, somebody who destroys and takes away the retirement of more than 100 people gets the death penalty. Like there's consequences <laughs> for that, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, we said, you know, if, if, you're, if you're poor and black and you rob three times and you get the three strikes, you're out. All you had to do was rob from three separate people, get caught each that. time, and you are in jail for life. So consequences are sudden and severe. So that's why, um, you know, everything that I see happening here when I say, you know, that, that Federal Reserve versus 99%, it could be this too. It's that you know that no matter how the Roe v. Wade thing goes down, and let's say it gets overturned, and individual states come up and some of them say, we're, we're, we're banning abortion in our state, right? Mm -hmm. Um Fundamentally, I'm a big states' rights fan. If some states want to do that, that's what the state decides. But I'll guarantee you this. The rich people in that state will still find a way to make sure their mistresses get the abortions they need, right? It's really, again, it'll, the accountability for that mm -hmm. will actually not fall equally across the society, of course. Right. Right? It'll fall more preferentially on the people who can't afford to sort of you know skirt around that. So, But why here, why aren't there riots about this why, why why have i not seen or heard in my entire career of a gathering of people outside the federal reserve saying cut it out <laughs> right it just I mean, doesn't happen in the united states it doesn't but it does in other countries doesn't it well interestingly if you go to europe you find people are a little bit more tuned in a little bit more restive a little bit more um uh, aware of the issues and how they connect right Right. This country is kind of like, oh, I, how you can't blame stuff on the Federal Reserve. Like, no, I totally can. They clickety click. They print money out of thin air. They hand it to the system, which means it goes to Wall Street, which means it goes to Citadel, BlackRock, Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan. They have all this fresh cash. What are they going to do with it? Mm -hmm. Well, they buy the assets that go up in price that they preferentially hold and own. It's not a surprise. It's, it's like if if I had a printing press and I decided what I was going to do was um, just buy all the red wagons on the street, mm -hmm. you know, for as much as they had, I'd knock on people's doors, buy all the red wagons. The price of red wagons would shoot up pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, you as know? soon as they figured it's out not what hard. you were doing. It's not hard to figure I that know, out. I know, I know. So anyway. Well, maybe, so maybe we're more shocked than other places in terms of how much, how much is coming at us and how often. That's the point of the shocking program. It's yeah. got to be too fast for mm -hmm. people to resolve what's happening. You can't adjust right? yourself. Um, and so here, now that that Elon Musk has said, I want to buy Twitter, of course, now there's like this huge hue and cry. There's a lot of people very upset about oligarchs and their power. And, you know, I haven't heard any of those same people saying nothing about 
the amount of land that Bill Gates owns or that he's busy telling us all about viruses when the guy didn't even graduate college. And all the time people are like, well, Chris, I know you have a PhD in pathology from Duke and you went through two years of medical school, but I'm not sure you're entirely qualified <laughs> to countermand what Bill Gates is telling us. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> can we just, uh, I mean, can we just, can we, I mean, the guy is a predator. Um, and I'm sure that, uh, Remember that was a little awkward. So he's getting divorced, and and the, it erupted all of a sudden that he'd had a kind of an intimate relationship with Jeffrey Epstein, been on the plane a bunch of times, and that was all coming up. And he's like, "Oh, I divorce here, Melinda, take a bunch of money," and it all went back away again. I'm sure that was her lawyers just playing the gambit of saying, "You really want to go there, Bill? Mm -hmm. I think you want to be generous right now because if you go there, we're going to release this information." And they <sighs> snuck some out. I think that was um, I think that was a divorce tactic. Which was skeletons yes. about to be revealed. Yeah, that's a, that's too bad. She had a great opportunity. She didn't take it. <laughs> I don't know that you could have been in with him all those years and not have been. I know. Somehow. She was yeah. part of that whole thing. But anyway, now people are concerned because Elon Musk has said, you know what? I kind of like free speech. These <laughs> people are like, oh no, that's terrible. We don't want free speech. Remember, let's... Remember this? Remember this? This is 2015. This is Jack, Jack Dorsey, at Jack on Twitter, of course, the CEO, founder. Yeah. Of, he says, you would always, uh, Twitter stands for freedom them. of expression. We stand for speaking truth to power, and we stand for empowering dialogue. Next thing I know, they're, they're busy um, suppressing all kinds of speech. I know it. Right, they become the monster they hate, right? So, so this was all about free speech. But what they mean is free speech that agrees with our pre-existing biases. The rest of it, we're going to do what we can to shut it down. Yeah. And that's the last. Here's why I care. We don't have time for this foolishness right now. We we just we don't we don't have time. The the world is literally figuratively every possible way in some really deep problems and predicaments. Problems have solutions. Predicaments just have outcomes, mm -hmm. right? As soon as we lose the last rusty patch bumblebee and there are no more, we are now out of the problem stage of that, which means we could fix this mm -hmm. with, you know, some solutions to the predicament stage, which is like, whoops, no rusty patch bumblebees. What did they use to pollinate? Our choices now include in predicamentville, are we going to hand pollinate this stuff like Chinese on their apple trees with little like paintbrushes with I pollen? I tried that last year. It's painful. It is. <laughs> Right? But we don't even know all the all the services it provided. Like, we'll discover there's some plant that it used to pollinate that we didn't know about, and that's the end of that, and it goes away. And then where are we? Um, but, yeah, so, anywho. Sorry, you're on a... Um, all right, so... A jet plane. Here's what we have to know. We have to know where the shocks are coming from. You have to source them correctly, because if you don't source the shocks correctly, you can't diagnose them. And then next thing you know, you're just at the mercy of, of those shocks. And then people start fighting each other. And we're seeing this fighting happening right now, right? And so people are very upset. And I think rightly upset if they, you know, it's like, but why now? Why, why, why is this issue? Why did this happen right now? And by the way, here's my little model for what's been happening. COVID and mass psychosis and mass psychosis programming was really used to drive a lot of people into an extraordinary state of 
mass psychosis programming, which was that free-floating anxiety and the fear. And I know people who are just deadly afraid of, like, we saw the polls, right, where, oh, yeah. where on even Bill Maher, they ran the Gallup poll, which asked the question, based on your political affiliation, what do you, how much of a chance do you think you have of going to the hospital or dying if you catch COVID? And the Democrats were off, not just by a little bit, by, but by orders of magnitude. They thought there was a 40% chance of going to the hospital as a group if you caught COVID, when the answer is it's a fraction of a percent. In fact, it depends on your that. age, of course. Um, over 70, it's actually whole percentages. Under 40, it's fractional percentages, right? Mm -hmm. Like vanishingly small. And then in the midst of COVID, along came George Floyd incidents. And, and then we had the BLM riots, right? Um, I call them riots. I couldn't find any. When you go to Google, you type in riots, you don't get a lot. Protests, you get more imagery. So I had to pull that image using <laughs> calling it a protest, a little, little pro tip. And then, of course, there was this whole vaccine mandate thing. And by the way, all the Pfizer documents that just got released, it's just it, it's really quite horrifying what 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 um, yeah, was known and not conveyed. Uh, it's astonishing. There should be um, criminal penalties. Uh, you got to tell me at some point in this. That I'd have to be a different show. And I'm not, I'm still not sure I can talk about this stuff out in public. I'm like somebody with, somebody with a larger audience that would actually cost real pain for Google YouTube would, could get away with it. I'm, I'm not quite there gotcha. yet. Gotcha. And then the Ukraine thing, people often, these are the same people who really bought into the fear, bought into the riots, bought into the vaccines, really bought into the whole, we have to support Ukraine thing, right? And mm -hmm. then now this, right? Mm -hmm. This Roe v. Wade thing. So, and, and each one of these, as you said, it's just, it's the serial shocks. They're just mm -hmm. shock, 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 shock. But why? Distraction. Why? Because of dwindling resources and energy resources in particular, I think. All right. Well, what do you think? I think that um, this. So, this I is my. Feel this like is I'm in school. This is my. Well, a little bit, but you know, this is how. This I. You're right. Getting I do have called on. <laughs> don't mean to put you on the spot. No, sorry. And <clears throat> this came out on November 18, 2016. There was this little movie. It's just music with some little words that come up. People are probably familiar with this one, but it came out in 2016. A lot of people think this came out during COVID 2020, but this is the WEF, the Davos little movie, about three minutes long, and it mm -hmm. ran through eight points. And point number one was you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. And a lot of people quote this and they talk about this. And I indeed think that point number one that they raised here, which was that by 2030, you will own nothing and you'll be happy. Of course, leaving hanging the whole idea of like, but then who owns the stuff? Because if I'm renting, <laughs> somebody owns it, right? Yeah. And again, it's the oligarchs, right? And all that. So this was point one. It was actually point eight that, that caught me the most and made me sit up. And this is point eight. This is the one that really catches my eye. I remember this one. Western values will have been tested to the breaking point. So what's a Western value? I mean, the WFs, it, here's, here's how I'm built. If somebody says they're going to do something and then it happens, I'm that guy who thinks maybe they did it. <laughs> That's how I'm built. I know. They laid out a point. They laid out eight points, which included you're going to eat less meat, mm -hmm. you know, da, 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 right? All of that. But what does that mean, Western values? So Western values to me include things like um, freedom, autonomy, parental rights, Mm -hmm. individual rights, 
privacy, the right to privacy, to be free from from secure from from government overreach. Mm-hmm. Rights free, to your body. Free rights to my own body. Mm-hmm. That's all under assault. I like a lot of people. Like, oh no, you want to have a job? You're gonna have to get this thing put into your body. Like that, you didn't have sovereignty over your own body anymore. Yeah, right? when did that happen? The, every Western value, property rights. Look what just happened. I know it was in the context of Ukraine, but they just seized all of these assets, yachts and things of, of Russian oligarchs. We call them oligarchs on their side. We call them billionaires on our side. They're the same people. <laughs> Why do you call it an oligarch just because it's Russian? That's an oligarch. <laughs> that means something. They must have come by their loot uh, in a really... Illegal sort of a way. Shady. A little shady. I know it. Not like hiding your data for 75 years. That's not shady. <laughs> That's just billionaire activity. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Just saying. At any rate. But think they just said that. They said they're going to seize the property of oligarchs who are private citizens of a country. And then they seized it and they're selling it. They're auctioning that? Yeah, they're like, we, we seized it. So private property rights. Oof. And that will be coming soon to a theater near you because once you've sort of cracked that nut internationally because of an emergency, a war, trust me, it, it happened. But we had well, that. Well, it was, happened already with Canada. And Yes, freezing the bank accounts and civil asset forfeiture. Yeah. Who put that one in play, right? In the same, I call this, I'm going to use this word very carefully, listen carefully, the subprime court, subprime court that's how i always that's i can't call them supreme anymore not since the kilo v new london not since citizens united not since they passed on the whole idea of allowing civil asset forfeiture which means you have money get seized by the police or law enforcement and they say we've charged the money with a civil infraction which is now you have to prove it wasn't gotten illegally and of course yeah it's so so that private property like basically every single thing that I consider a Western value has been chipped away methodically. All right. Um, hey, you know what? We're really lucky tonight. We have a sponsor of this program and we're, we're very blessed to have a sponsor. And so um, this is Secure. Uh, and, and I've talked about uh, these people before and I use Secure products. So um, a quick word from today's sponsor, Secure, spelled S-E-K-U-R. Uh, Secure uses proprietary encryption to fully... Um, provide fully private and secure instant messaging and email and all communication is securely held in Swiss servers without using any of those big tech platforms. Um, So listen, hey, in today's day and age, your email, your messages, even your bank information can easily be intercepted by bad actors. Uh, Your private information, pictures, chat, email, all consistently mined and sold by big tech. So when you're using a free product, hey, you are the product. Uh, that's very obvious now. So secure never minds your data, never asks for your phone number, and you can easily and securely communicate with both secure users and non-secure users alike, allowing you to send completely secure emails to your doctor, your banker, lawyer, anyone else. So, hey, you can even set a time to destruct the message. Even your internet provider can't peek in on your emails based on the technology they use. So secure is your solution to stop the constant theft of your digital identity costs only $5 a month for the messenger, $10 a month for the messenger and email. Remember, if you don't pay for it, you are the product. So go to secure.com, that's S-E-K-U-R.com, and take back your privacy today. Peak Insiders get 25% off, or if you're not an insider, the promo code PEAK25. 
15 gets you limited time 15% off. All right. And considering what we're talking about today, um, I like being private. <laughs> I'm increasingly becoming a privacy nut, but that's a Western value that may get tested to the breaking point <laughs> any time now. I have to laugh about this. It's getting pretty serious. I know. I know. So, all right. Um, hey, uh, what do we have back there, Ryan? Do we have any like really cool uh, chats and things like Let's bring some people in. Let's let's get in here and see what we got going because I want to start talking with everybody. Um, what do you think about this, folks? Uh, where are your hearts and minds? You know, are, are we just connecting dots that don't deserve to be connected uh, or is there something to all of this um, that we're talking about here does this is this just there are a lot of a lot of questions unintentional like just incompetence or is this malice you know where do we fall on this whole story so um, just pick one out there and bring one up see what we got here all right when it went by a little, oh, come back. Good. Herb Green asks, why do interest and inflation exist when money is created out of thin air when money is loaned? Since the Fed wants every dollar in existence back, doesn't that mean demand can't ever be met? Um, so there's two types of money, Herb. That's a great question. There's two types. There's base money and then there's money that's loaned out of the banking system into existence. That's most of it. So in the crash course, that's why I start with money, money creation. I have this whole series. What is money? How is it made? It's really important to understand the mechanism. Can't go into all of it right now, but let's start here. Um, when the bank loans you, say, $250,000 as a, as a mortgage on a house, that $250,000 isn't, isn't like that old black and white movie with Jimmy Stewart called It's a Wonderful Life where... There was money that came in the bank and then they loaned it back out again. That's not how it works at all. When they decide to loan you 250000 here comes the $250,000. That's an asset that you can take, but you have a liability on the other side. That's the loan. Those two things got created at the same time. So your liability is the bank's asset and vice versa, right? So when they create that 250000 out of thin air, that is money created out of thin air. But there's a, a liability and an asset money and the, and the note. When that note gets paid back, it goes back away to money heaven. So money's created and comes out. So just, it's not inflationary, like base money. Base money is when the Federal Reserve clickety clickety clicks and creates money out of thin air. So when they expand their balance sheet, what do they do? They go out and they say there's a billion dollars of mortgage-backed securities that are held on JP Morgan's balance sheet. And the central bank says, We'd rather have that on our balance sheet and we'd like to have cash out there in JP Morgan's hot little hands so they can do things like buy stocks. So when the Fed does that, clickety click, click, a billion dollars gets created out of thin air and that goes out into the world and becomes hot money. Um, so the Fed created a lot of hot money and that's very inflationary. And we've had lots of inflation for a long time. Inflation always happens where the money is. Hmm. So for a long time, people didn't notice the inflation because it wasn't in milk. It was in the things that J.P. Morgan liked to buy, right? So all that money went to Wall Street. So we saw inflation in financial assets, stocks and bonds. We saw inflation in trophy properties. There was a wait list for Gulfstream 6s that are all tricked out. Large yachts, hard to buy them, right? Because all this money the Fed printed out of thin air went to the very rich people, and then they did what rich people do. They bought excess farmland and large diamonds and all that. 
And then COVID came along and the government said, well, let's give a couple grand to individuals, you know, and they sent out those stimmy checks. That's when the inflation really kicked off because now the money was being printed out of thin air and given to everybody. And so that created inflation that everybody might notice. Um, and that's the stuff that the Fed is trying to reel back in right now. And just the thought of that, the Fed announced it and said, hey, we're going to, you know, ramp up over a couple of months to reducing our balance sheet by $95 billion a month, starting in a couple of months, we'll get there. Yet day before, yesterday, we saw the stock market go up 125 S&P points. Today, it was down 156, I think was the final number. Um, woo! Wow. Those are big moves. I think the NASDAQ crashed uh, 5.5% today. So that's what's going to happen. All, all those stock prices were inflated because the Fed pushed money out into that. Now the Fed's going to take that money back. Now we watch real money destruction. So great question, Herb. All that inflation, and we did have inflated stock and bond prices, that is busy getting reversed. And it's going to reverse and reverse hard until the Federal Reserve cries uncle and <laughs> says, I can't do this anymore. And then they start printing again because they can't stand this kind of pain. By the way, this was the subject of a part two that I did that came out on Tuesday. And this is about um, my, it's back at peakprosperity.com. And if you wanted to go to peakprosperity.com and become a member, um, for my members, I talked about how this process is gonna create the largest real estate crash of our lifetimes. I'm early to that story. You're probably thinking that's nuts, Chris. All the property around here is still rising. People are overbidding. They're overpaying. The cash only offers all of that. Maybe true where you live. It's not true everywhere. We're already seeing the early signs of that outside in erosion of that. And so that's what we're talking about um, is that real estate crash. Because I do think this is the biggest thing ever. The Fed reducing its balance sheet is going to crush financial assets. It can't grow forever and ever. Amen. It can't grow forever and ever. Amen. Come on. Sure it can. Wouldn't that they be fun? They just keep printing and printing. It's fine. It's been going up for... You know what? I'll bet you anything Jerome Powell would have this private conversation. He would tell you, yeah, we know that. But he can't say that out in public because, of course, that would destroy confidence. Uh, <laughs> or whatever. I'm so tired of yeah. people not telling the truth to us. Yeah. All right. What else do we have here? Um, you are on point 100%, Teague Materi. Thank you, Teague. Uh, I, and Yeah. Super chat. That's awesome. So thank you for the super chat, of course, too. Uh, on point, um, I assume about the money stuff I was just talking about. So um, thank you for that. Yeah, this is understanding the money system. That's why I spent the whole first third of the crash course when I created that is all about banking. How does banking work? How does the Federal Reserve work? What is money? Thinking it through. Then what is inflation? Because once you have that understanding, now you can understand what's happening in the world. It's not shocking anymore. Right. We understand who's what the cage is, and Jerome Powell over there, and prior to him, Janet Yellen, and prior to her, Ben Bernanke, prior to him, Alan Greenspan, have just been pushing the money button mm -hmm. for decades. So that's why I think this isn't just like a little hiccup in stocks. You know, we have a little bear market. This is five decades of policy stupidity. I know. That if it all breaks at once, that's why I say... Plant a garden because <laughs> it mean, could get it, it, no. It could I mean, it could get pretty dark. I I agree. I think it could. Unfortunately, I I'm curious though about what you could say to people who haven't been taught mo like monetary policy in school and other 
other things like that is do you feel like your crash course is the best place for people to start it's a good place yeah, yeah it does a good a good job it's but it's not just there to teach money and, and about money and you're not going to learn about what are the best types of 401ks or you know how to balance a checkbook it's not that it's about mm-hmm. the system of money and how that interacts with the system of energy and then the system of the environment mm-hmm. and if you understand those three systems you can come to this one very powerful conclusion which is oh no, this is all going to break someday, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? It's unsustainable. Mm-hmm. It's unsustainable. Like the, the Great Depression, but worse. Yeah, and if your authorities aren't thinking this through, that means you need to think it through, right? So mm-hmm. you you know a shocking headline we read like four or five years ago? Some people calculated it out and said, oh, there's only 60 harvests left, meaning we'll go through all the soil. If uh, Remember, so we were just watching Jeremy Clarkson's Clarkson Farm. It's a really well done. It's really cute. It's really fun, <laughs> it's, right? It's and he's terrible. farming whatever, a 1,000 acres or whatever the number is in, in the UK. And so he's continuing to farm on some soil there. What does that soil look like to you when? Oh, it's terrible. It's like little stones. It's rocks mostly little everywhere. rocks now. And they it's call like it. A little bit of brown, no organic material. Mm-mm. It's like they call it soil, but it's not. It's dirt. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he totally converted to dirt, but his farming practices are helping to continue that dirtification of the soil, meaning that if they didn't get fertilizer on that stuff, those crops aren't going to grow as well or at all in some cases. They're tilling mainly. Yeah. Tilling, wrecking the soil structure. Yep. All right. Hey, we've got some more super chats here. Let's bring one up. Um, This is fabulous. Thank you very much. Love talking to people and seeing what's going on. So uh, I see here... Yeah, let's go to, um, from Todd Smith. Hey, will we have Great Depression 2 or Weimar America followed by Great Depression 2? Todd, I'm going to take it just slightly different. Um, I think we're the, the, the operative framework I use is one that um, I got from Eric Jansen of itulip.com. 1998, I think, was the first time he put this theory out. It's called, very technical term, ready? The Kapoom Theory. <laughs> Okay, the Kapoom theory says the cot is an implosion process and then Poom is this explosion. The theory is that there's a deflationary impulse. There's deflation first, so deflation. What does that mean? That means the money supply is drying up, so that's what happens when the Fed reduces its balance sheet. So money starts going away, and there's all this leverage stuff out there, meaning hedge funds might have had a billion that they got of money, and they turned it into 10 or even 15 or even more billion dollars of actual bets on the market. So if the market goes down by 10%, their billion dollars goes whew, completely away, but they have to sell all that leveraged um, you know, st- positions as well. So the ka is that first implosion, and we would detect that in falling prices. So bonds fall in price, but that means yields go up. That's what we saw today. The 10-year bond just vaulted over the 3% mark and actually went to 3.09. This is a huge move in the world of bonds. So the bond yield for the 10-year went up, which means mortgage rates are going up, which means the price fell. So CA for bonds. Stocks down, right? But also real estate. So when you see that implosion, why do you get the poom? Because if that implosion goes far enough, political careers are ruined, We lose whole swaths of the banking industry, which is largely parasitic and unnecessary anyway, but that makes people very frowny-faced in walls of power because they're the people who give the most political donations because that's how the system works. And then uh, there's the risk, though, that you could get a financial system failure, that system failure. So that people get a little scared and they go, listen, if I have to choose between a system failure and just printing a little more and pretending I 
um, cry my crocodile tears about, you know, middle class families being wiped out by inflation. They'll always choose that. That's the poon part of the story. So my prediction is we're going to see this ka implosion part. The question is how much pain are the central banks willing to take before they go back to printing? Um, and when they go back to printing, we get the poom, which is the explosion. So it's kind of like um, we're going to get that 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 depressive effect. I don't know if we get quite to Great Depression too because of that. And then we get to that last Weimar Republic, the you know super printy stage. Um, either way, though, whether people's you know livelihoods are ruined by falling into a Great Depression or because the currency system gets gets uh, wrecked, it's irrelevant. Either way, it's just the path you took to get to not having the lifestyle you used to have because some people made some massive policy errors, right? So it was Ludwig von Mises, Austrian economist, I believe he was closest to right as far as economists go, paraphrasing slightly said, um, there is, when you go through a great credit expansion, the only question at the end of it is, do you voluntarily abandon that credit system, which means you go through the deflation, or do you face currency, the destruction of the currency system involved? So financial system or the dollar, one of those two things. I think that's where we're going. Um, Which that, would you choose? <laughs> well, they're, you both gonna, they're both going to stink. But I, I, think the, I think the deflation is more honest because it means the people who put debts out there, mm -hmm. who lent money they shouldn't have, right? Like, so I was a big fan. 2008 happens. AIG made a bunch of really dumb bets. And you know who funded those bets? Goldman Sachs was on the other side of those things. I thought both those com companies should have gone right out of business. This is the perp walk of financial accidents, right? right? right. You know, you need that public <laughs> hanging, which says, and then other bankers go, oh, shoot. <laughs> not going to do that. Let's not do that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then, you know, but we don't, let's be clear, we don't need as many banks financialization. We don't, we don't need all these financial types. We don't need speculators. We don't need more hedge funds. We don't need more private equity funds. We don't need more, more banks. We need more factories, people, farmers, producing real things, mm -hmm. less of this financialization stuff, which was fostered by Central Bank. So um, what else we got? Ryan, What uh, looks like we got some more awesome things coming up in here. Maple trees. Um, but haven't a lot of homes been purchased by BlackRock, Invitation Homes, et cetera? Would they let it crash? Um, good question. So What's being asked here is, of course, a lot of homes are not bought by citizens, private citizens are bought by big firms, BlackRock being one. They get their money for basically free from the Federal Reserve, or at least at a cost of capital that's way less than you could get it for. So you have to try and make a home work at a 5% mortgage. They might only be paying 1%. They got like a four-point like advantage on you, so they can make the economics work a lot easier. If I have to buy a home at 5% money and then try and rent it out, I have to rent it out like for a lot compared to somebody who can buy that home at 1% money. They have a much lower cost of capital than that. So here's the thing, though, Maple Trees. I'm a big believer that the banks all do work in lockstep, that they rig markets, that it's all fun and games until things get a little dicey. And then their true colors come out and they are no longer team players. They are I players at that point in time. <laughs> so BlackRock is in this to make money. And if they feel like suddenly they're going to lose money, they're going to dump those homes as fast as they possibly can. <laughs> um, and so there, there's a... Uh, Unless somebody else is pulling those strings. 
you'll own nothing and be happy. I mean, I, it's I possible, but but so Bank of America went from being a cheesy little regional bank out of San Francisco mm-hmm. to this major player in the Great Depression because in the Great Depression they bought up all these mortgages of these failed farms and other That's real how estate. Old it is? Yeah, for pennies on the dollar. Wow. So back to the earlier question, if this goes into a Great Depression and then the only people with money are the ones who have access to it being printed straight out, they end up owning everything. It could be that this is part of the system that strips all of the private property out and hands it even faster to a few people. So that could so that's why that's the malice angle. Is or is this just like bunch of dundery, stupid echo chamber Fed officials who made bad decisions for mm-hmm. five decades in a row. They're just idiots. Or is this part of a plan now that's going to ensure that we get to step one of that WF happy jingly little movie, which says you'll own nothing and be happy. Mm-hmm. What's that quote about um, people losing their senses in a group, right? You've talked about that. There's a quote around that and only yeah. regain their senses you know, one by one. That Well, it's Charles McKay from, I think he wrote that in 1848 in Popular Delusions in the Madness of Crowds. And you got you very close to the whole quote, which I, again, will mangle a bit and paraphrase. But it has been well said that men lose their minds, minds in herds mm-hmm. and only regain their senses slowly and one by one. Mm-hmm. So that's that's that mass panic phase, right? right. So everybody rushes into the housing market. Oh my God, they're not making land anymore, you know, and they have all these aphorisms and then they're overpaying and they rationalize it. And then eventually they wake up slowly one by one and realize that, oh yeah. Because one of the things I was just thinking about is how when people get to the end of their lives or if something really, I think about COVID right now, for example, some, some kind of catastrophic thing happens to you. Typically people change or or have an opportunity to in that moment. Not everybody does, obviously, but yeah. I think people see what's truly important, you know, have a change of heart even, but it's not trumpeted to the entire world and it's obviously something personal. And so, and it's, there's, it's not as exciting because it's, it's somebody regaining their senses and the rest of the crowd probably doesn't want to hear about that. Yeah. I, I will say though, probably for most of the people listening to this, there, there's, always a part of the crowd that never loses their minds. I'm not saying we're all that in a bag of rocks, but 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 clearly the people who who follow my work and who are in our tribe and I love them all to death are are more immune to mm-hmm. that programming. I agree. Right? In fact, some of us are are actually hyper immune in the sense that is we can detect early on that somebody's trying to manipulate us into a position <laughs> and we just reflexively take the other side of it right away, you know? And so yeah, as soon as I felt that, you know, the CDC was was lying to me, I just assumed everything was a lie. Mm-hmm. And some of it isn't. So every so often I find, oh, yeah, they actually told the truth there. But but it, I found it, it just, as soon as I find out that I'm being lied to, I, I, I just, I immediately assume it's all lies. And it's just, it's actually a better starting point. Um, mm-hmm. It works pretty well um, in that regard. So uh, what else we got? Oh, I see some good ones in here. Um, C-Spool says, January 1... Maybe I'll buy a Lambo with this Austin real estate money. May one, I need to start a garden immediately. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great one. Yes. It Things was, really have shifted, though. Is that a Lamborghini tractor, by chance? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it, things turn quickly. Um, they, they do. They turn very quickly. In fact, uh, it's a perfect time. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, as both, oh, um, 
from TKG Wildfire, uh, how do you convert dirt into soil? Oh, great question. Oh, that's so good. I'm going to get to that in just a second because I, I, I want to I want to go that the, the speed of things. Just bring this up real quick because um, this is awesome. Uh, Seneca, uh, uh, ancient uh, ancient dude there, Lucius Aeneas Seneca said, increases are of sluggish growth, but the way to ruin is rapid. And it got converted in peak oil terms into this thing called the Seneca Cliff where you climb, you climb, you climb, everything's good, and then it crashes really suddenly. So it's kind of like you take the stairs up, but the elevator down. Um, and this is how complex systems are, are arranged. That's why I'm so urgently telling people, and we'll get to the second one from TKS, which is how do you turn dirt back into soil? Because we have to be ready for this idea that everything's fine, everything's fine until everything's not fine, and that not fine part can happen really fast. Mm-hmm in a complex system. So how because to convert... emergent behaviors you don't yeah. know are going to happen. So turning dirt back into soil can be as easy as putting six inches of wood chips on there and just waiting a season. Um, you'll watch that soil process begin very, very rapidly. So what's different between dirt and soil? Soil is a matrix. If you looked at it under a microscope, there'd be little <clears throat> granules and sand and stuff in there, but it wouldn't really have any organic matter, which would be little flecks of half-broken-down leaves and little twigs and stuff. That's the organic matter. Um, so getting organic matter back into the soil, it, it, it will repair itself really rapidly. So Evie and I, we have a spot where our orchard is right now, young trees, we just planted them. But last year, remember, it was just rocks and gravel. It's uh-huh. like a little gravel pit. Uh-huh. And we did. We put like six inches of wood chips on there. And, then, and this year, it looks like black soil. It's really fast. Yeah, it's because I watched that. I watched, um, what was it? Back to Eden, I yeah. think it's called. And it was about this guy out on the West Coast who was noticing that when he was out in the woods, the duff under the trees, so the when the leaves yeah. would fall down, it would just be this beautiful, dark soil and rich. You know, you smell it. You're like, it's alive. And that's how you tell soil. Yeah. Like this. Exactly. But this guy, this gentleman, yeah. wanted to build it as fast as he could. He's like, what can I do? And what he noticed was that the trees were often, uh, obviously... Um, just sitting in their own delicious minerals because they drop their leaves on themselves every year. And then that just builds up and they're creating their own compost, essentially. So if we do something like that and it's breaking down around our plants and also keeping the soil from losing all of its nutrients via, you know, rain getting washed away, also just evaporating and the different ways that some of these things, you know, get blown off. Here's a prediction. Ten years from now. We're not going to call it human waste anymore. It's going to be human gold. I know that's okay. We're you know, that that might be a little <laughs> far ahead of ahead of the curve, right? But hey, trust, just put it out there. Just put that on just, your mental notepad and just watch. <laughs> um, because no, it's 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 it, there is no waste in nature, but in particular, so the fastest way that we're converting this farm that we live on now back into health is with a, a beautiful, brilliant, absolutely magnificently intelligent help of three. Very dumb cows. Um, they're just, they're wonderful. But they are soil management experts. And the way they walk around and pee and poo and eat and stomp on stuff, it turns out that they are soil management experts in a way I don't they're understand. Awesome. They're geniuses. Um, they are rapidly converting this back to health here. People actually said that cows, you can consider them having five, t- five mouths because their feet, the action of them stomping in all of those you know, their excrement as well as grass and other things is actually similar to them yep. grazing. But organic matter, organic, <clears throat> organic, organic. And that 
dirt just smells barely. It's like maybe slightly acidic. It just has a very weak smell. And soil has this really rich, like if you cook, took leaves from under the leaves in a forest floor, if you've ever had that experience of smelling real soil, it's just very rich and mm-hmm. alive. Um, it'd be the difference between Folgers crystals and smelling like a a really good coffee artisan blend (laughs) yeah (laughs) just you can just tell right away all right what else we got thank god this channel popped up a few years ago thanks uh for everything chris howdy's from athens greece awesome p.s you should talk a bit more about things around the globe not just the u.s um thank you for that absolutely we should you know greece was um uh sort of ground zero for where things began in 2009, 2010 in Europe. And so I do spend a lot of time watching the edges of things because mm-hmm. it's you have to watch for where the signal's going to pop up first in, in yeah. something. They went through a tough time economically, Really tough right? time. And then... Have they it, recovered? Well, I was super offended for them because, you know, all these German banks and the Brussels crowd and all of this and that said, oh, you know, you, you got into a little trouble with your debt. You have to give us your ports, your roads your utilities like we'll just take all your valuable stuff um (laughs) we gave we we printed money out of thin air handed it to you now you got to give us your ports your roads and and you know airports and things like that it's just it was not good um so it's possible too that um uh off the coast of cyprus was remember that was the first bank bail-in so back in 2009 10 there was everything's crashing and so there was this concept of a bank bail-in. Now, a bail-out is where taxpayer money is printed up and handed to a bank like it handed was for AIG, right. Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan, all of them. You know, um, yeah, A bail-in is different. A bail-in says the bank can't pay its liabilities. What's a bank liability? Your bank account is the bank's liability. You're like, I have money in the bank. No, you don't. You're an unsecured creditor who holds something that the bank considers to be a liability. So if there are liabilities, that's bankruptcy is when your be- assets and liabilities don't match. Mm-hmm. Boop, you know, um, your liabilities now exceed your assets. So that happened. And, and I'm convinced that when they want to try something, they prefer to try it on an island because it's contained environment. It's a Petri dish to practice. So they practiced the first bail-in <laughs> in all of history was practiced in Cyprus. Um, and it went okay for a little while. And then they discovered, oops, um, some people had figured out how to sort of tunnel in through, you know, subsidiary banks that were off the island and managed to, um, it wasn't a total success, but but I, I heard, I read that the Orthodox Church there lost $100 million, right? Oh, wow. A lot of people lost a lot of money, which was, they said, oh, did you have $100,000 with us or whatever the currency was held in there? Um, you now have 50000 because you just got, you were part of the bail-in, <laughs> right? Wow. So... Yeah, I I think we're going to see that happening again. Because this is so, here's the, I actually can distill all of where we are financially, regardless of which country you're in, Spain, Greece, Mm -hmm. Italy, France, Germany, UK, US, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, I don't care. The only question you have to resolve financially for your country, for yourselves, is this one. Who's going to eat the losses? They're just losses. There's no chance the United States were going to pay back our Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security liabilities. Not a chance in the world. Not a chance. What does Canada have for that? 
Because they have their healthcare system, so it's got to be. It's it's the same thing that their whole system works if and only if it continues to grow and expand, and then it sort of pencils out. Canada is slightly different. They don't have the same liabilities and mismatches, but they have the highest levels of household debt that I'm aware of in the Western system. So Japan, same thing, a postal system, they call it for the retirees, all this and that, strip it away. They, the question to ask is how much debt per person plus liabilities do they have? Japan nosed over in population in 2008. It's heading down and it's aging rapidly. Mm, right. So the last thing they would need is to have more and more and more debt in the system. And their banking system is just piling more and more and more debt on Kuroda, head of the Bank of Japan, piling more and more debt because they have to keep the banking system growing, which means the people, the banking system doesn't serve the humans. The humans are serving the money system. Mm. And the problem is the humans in that story are declining in number and they're aging. So the debt per person in Japan. Last time I calculated it was like over a million dollars per person when you add it all up. Corporate debt, federal debt, household debt, a million per person. So every person is like, can you imagine just you wake up one day and every person in your family has a million dollars in debt? That's how it works out. And they always give that old saw. They're like, oh, but they owe it to themselves. (sighs) God, it's just the, it's just, how does that work? But it's tough. I mean, I, I just have to, for a moment, if you think about everybody that's looking at losses, you know, it's never a good time to stop something. I mean, I know this just from, yep. I don't know, when we decided that alcohol wasn't going to be a part of our lives anymore, mm-hmm. if you're okay with me using of this. Yeah. Um, you know, it was something that it's never a good, easy time for that. You know, there's so-and-so's wedding and wouldn't it be nice if we could, whatever. You know, there are just moments we went on that business trip where it would have been great. Like, there were just moments. It's never easy to sort of, and that's maybe not the right No, it's a it's reasonable analogy. Because it, it's, it's it, you can always rationalize, not now, how about later? Exactly. And the Federal Reserve is kicked the can down the road, but so is the Bank of Japan, Bank of Canada, mm-hmm. Bank of New Zealand, Bank of Australia, Bank of England, right. ECB. They all just kicked the can down the road. Right. Well, I'm I'm here to say I think the end of the road is in sight. But to understand why, really, you have to understand the role of energy mm-hmm. in this story, because you can keep sort of pretending the economy is going to expand by throwing more money into it, if and only if you have the resources there mm-hmm. to prosecute that level of money. Otherwise, you're just throwing more and more money in and the pie isn't getting any bigger, or maybe the pie is shrinking, and now you get this inflation. And so mm-hmm. the more you try what just used to work, mm-hmm. the more it doesn't work. And so that's where we're at. So technology is not going to save us? Nope, probably I you, I thought, not. I thought you thought it was. I'm All right, what else, what else we got here tonight? <laughs> CBA Buck, uh, thank you very much. Understanding that you shouldn't offer it financial advice. My girlfriend wants to buy land. I already have a homestead for us, uh, but is put off... By current market, I recommend hedging precious metals now and waiting for the crash. Do you have other thoughts? Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, this is exactly what we're talking about at, at the website right now. So I have a lot of thoughts about um, where the fin- uh, real estate market is going. For a lot of reasons, I don't, I can't give any financial advice. Uh, it's very highly regulated business. Um, I can't do that out in public, but I will tell you where, where my heart is, is that uh, we are going to see the kapoom, if you were here for that part of the discussion earlier this hour. We're going to see that implosion first. We're already seeing lots and lots of signs that the real estate market is starting to roll over. Mm -hmm. Now, this is going to be location dependent, so I have to be a little 
I've got to put my little air quote caveats around that because I don't know where you live. But um, so some some places will probably be okay. So we're seeing huge migrations in the United States right now to be U.S. centric again. So I don't expect real estate prices to do much in Texas, Florida. Ooh, they're going to do a lot in the places people are are exfilling from and migrating away from right now. And those migration patterns are astonishing. <laughs> almost almost entirely, it's from so-called blue states to red states. Um, huge migrations. What about the people that can't afford to go somewhere? Well, they'll be stuck in the in the places where a the uh, so here's the thing: the people who leave tend to be the people who are already mobile. So mm. and they tend to be often the people who have have assets mm-hmm. right and can afford to do that and make that decision um so quite often you find that the people who are who stay behind you know for whatever sets of reasons they find that a lot of the vitality sort of seems to have picked up and left um which which can happen uh, yeah. particularly so i'm just feeling a lot of empathy right now for so for the youngers I, i'm just feeling the pain. yeah so this is a market timing thing though and that's the hardest part to get right is that timing so mm-hmm. um a it's going to be slightly location dependent b well i might be totally wrong and and there is no crack like the fed tomorrow could say woo you know we, we can't stand this here's you know a hundred thousand dollars for everybody spend it by next tuesday um and then you know things are different at that point in time um so the timing is tricky, but here's the thing. If you already have the homestead, fuck, that's fine. For anybody who doesn't have that homestead, I'm price insensitive when it comes to that. Buy at the top of the market if you have to because your most important asset in life is time. And in this story, between here and 2030, I know the WEF thinks we're going to live in this techno-fantasy, insect-eating, 3D printing our organs for our replacement organ future. <laughs> Um, and I see it differently. I think they're idiots. I think they don't understand the role of energy. I think that when we see our complex systems get starved for the energy, as is happening right now, mm-hmm. things get harder, things break down, things don't work. And so in that story, between here and 2030, we're all going to really want to have rich soils and mm-hmm. deep communities. So at peak prosperity, we, we break it down. There's four big forms of capital to worry about and build. And if you build those, you'll be fine, I think. And that's your health, that's your wealth, um, and this is your community, and this is your home or your homestead. Mm-hmm. So, uh, absolutely, building up, you know, around your your that that's 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 being resilient that way. That's how we that's how we win in this story. Yeah. Yeah. What else we got over there? Kevin Esslinger writing. What do you think is holding the palladium price back considering the majority of the supply comes out of Russia? Um, well, <clears throat> Gavin, first thing is uh, there are no more manipulated markets than the precious metals markets. Um, and by manipulated, I mean there are simply players and participants in those markets who figured out that they can ring this cash register over and over and over again by playing their paper games. Um, and they've done it for a long time. And every every fragment of the of the market is like that. In fact, nickel is not a precious metal, but we just saw what happened with the LME London Metal Exchange, where a big player got caught really badly short and was going to get ruined and lose billions of dollars. And they unwound, they violated, they broke over nearly six thousand, over five thousand nine hundred, nearly six thousand trades were broken. So if I or you, Kevin, were in there, and we had made a bundle of money because we correctly guessed that supply and demand were out of whack, and we had this huge winning trade. They said, we're just going to dial that back and cancel it. 
you didn't win. You actually lost, right? That's what they did. That's terrible. So that market is, is I think, being held back at this point in time. The only legit reason I can think is that um, right now the automakers don't actually have enough chips to make cars. And if they can't, if you look at like, it, there's a lot of people who want to buy cars that can't even get them right now. There's like year-long waiting lists. If you can't make the car, you don't need the catalytic converter for the car. If you can't get the chips. So I think there's a legit supply issue right now, which is like they can't even make the cars. So, so it's like that for want of a nail, the shoe was lost. For want of the shoe, the rider was lost. And the kingdom was lost, right? So for want of a little tiny chip, you know, they couldn't make the, the, the sensor control system for the Ford F-150 and you know, now they're, they don't need tires too. It's like, it's a really bizarre thing that's happening. So that could be a little bit of supply chain thing, but honestly, um, when the federal reserve became very concerned, we got a really high inflation reading privately with my buddies. I said, Oh, we're going to see things take a hit here. And we did, we saw oil actually come back in price. We saw wheat come back in price and neither of those two should be going anywhere, but straight up at this point in time Mm. for a variety of very, uh, supply demand, easy issues to explain. But we're seeing right now they're holding the price back on things, even though supply is cratering. And that shouldn't happen because we live in a world now where you can't trust free markets. You can't trust people to have free speech. You can't trust free anything. We have to control this. There's a narrative. And it's just, it's really dumb. We'll look, people will look back and go, okay, don't do that again. I know. It's a really dumb way to run things. But we are um, going to be a case study and kind of how, how it's not running to currently. do things. All right. Shall we? Uh, Next up, we have. Oh. <laughs> Where did it go? What do we know? All oh. Right. All right. Uh, hey. Uh, oh, at the top. I just know how to. Oh, okay. I just know how to farm. You guys figured out um, from MVR. Uh, we're oh, we're trying. Thank we're, you for the 2020 COVID videos. They were a godsend to my family. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. And That's we are, we are, well. we are figuring out how to farm, mostly by error. Mm-hmm. Some trial. We're trying. Some trial and error. A lot of error. <laughs> Swe- sweat and tears, baby. Sweat yeah. and tears. <laughs> um, and some blood too. Yeah. So. It's not easy. It's way harder than most people might think, and there's a reason why nobody, well, a lot of people aren't used to doing it, might not want to do it. Yeah. It's hard work. Um. Are you going to pull one out? Because you can actually see that oh, better I, than no. I can at this time. We'll just let just let the, let the guys pull pull them up as they see them. So, um, well, yeah, this is um. Did you yeah? Did you finish your presentation? Well, this is. I think we should just go back here for a bit. Um, this is. So, I've worked really, really hard to stay neutral, and I'm finding it harder to stay neutral. Mm-hmm. In the sense that I think that this story about resource depletion and where we are and money printing and all of that is really important and everybody should have access to it. What I'm discovering is that some people are so resistant to hearing things that mm-hmm. it's not worth having conversations with them. I know. I used to think I could have a conversation with anybody, but people have come back and said, not interested in the data. And they just have these opinions that when you scratch at them, you find out were installed through a media system yesterday. Like, they're not actually opinions. You scratch at them with your fingernail, you hit primer right away. Because they're not opinions. They're installed ideas that mm-hmm. came from somewhere. And then you scratch it where those ideas come from, and you find they come from corporate interests, government, you know, 
agencies, focus groups that have been like the information landscape has really torn families apart at this point because some people they they buy up completely different idea sets. Mm-hmm. But I know we're about to come up on Mother's Day in the U.S. here and. It's always this like family oriented holiday, whatever that means at this point. But I know, you know, because of COVID, a lot of people are are struggling with that for the same divisive things we've been discussing. Well, it's I mean, we how many people do we know where they said, I can't go over my brother's house because I'm not vaccinated. So many. Right. Or something like that. So that really tore families apart when you could actually with just very simple data say, very easy, which is tell me what benefit. So either the vaccines work or they don't work. If they do work, it's not a problem. You're vaccinated. If they don't work, we need to talk about that. If they're, you know, anyway, um, but it it wasn't about the effectiveness. It wasn't about the data. It wasn't about that. It was about your tribal affiliation. So I feel like there's a bunch of people who are addicted to this process of this emotional manipulation and they like it. Mm -hmm. Gives them their sense of meaning, purpose, it's fun. I belong to something, <laughs> right? Um, I'm going to have another interview with Matthias Desmet coming oh, up good. in a little while. He of the mass formation psychosis uh, concept, because he said, you know, that's what that's what people get out of mm-hmm. the mass formation is they get a sense of meaning and purpose out of an otherwise meaningless, purposeless life. Mm. That they had poor social bonds, they didn't have things that really resonated for them, but now they belong to something. Hey, we're all in this together, and they don't want this. To be questioned. Great equalizing moment. Right. So they seamlessly hop from being in this together around COVID to being in this around the BLM riots to being in this together around vaccines. Yeah. So it's that's the whole thing. When the brother says to the brother-in-law, you know, you, you can't come over. It's not about the actual data. No. It's about the you're going to challenge my belonging in this thing that's important to me, which is a whole different conversation to have. Mm-hmm. Right. And so this is actually where. I think more your expertise comes in is this whole idea of like when, when people have these emotional attachments to things, the question is how do we resolve those relatively seamlessly and quickly? Because it's not about the data. No. It's not at all about the data. Frustratingly, I mean, the emotional landscape, it, it's similarly structured to the rest of the world in that you have to take responsibility for yourself. That's the only thing you can control in the whole story. What does that mean, take responsibility for yourself? Well, how we grew up and all these things. Like, it's not somebody else's fault for how we are when we're an adult. Once we're an adult, we are formed, but we're, you know, at a certain point, we've stopped growing and we're able to see the world through sort of more mature eyes. But I feel like it's our responsibility to take care of our psyche and to heal the things that might have happened during that period of time that we were being raised where things might have happened and to heal it so that we don't recreate that you know in our world in present time with other adults and that's often what I see um, in families and other situations even in work environments it's all the same stuff this was the projected unforgivable sin of whoever was pulling these strings and pushing the buttons to me was the othering Mm -hmm. that they created right Mm -hmm. watching Justin Trudeau what a creepy minaret that guy is. What a, he's just a disaster of a human being because he's using his, and, and you know what, Biden just did this. He just did this uh, just very recently where he said, the most, I'm paraphrasing, I'd have to pull that up, um, but basically it was 
like the worst social movement, like like the most destructive social movement ever in our in our history of our country ever was the MAGA people, right? The Make America Great Again, so the red really? hat wearing. Worst ever, right? Oh, it, that's, boy. again, um, the guy's obviously not fully in his mind, and I don't know why anybody actually listens to what he says in the first place. Um, that's not a left-right thing. I'm just telling you my when dementia, dementia. My, my dementia <laughs> signals are just like off the charts like for that guy. So, I, you know, listen, I've, I've had older people in my life when they start to get dementia, their filters come down and they start saying crazy stuff, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, you know, we've all thing. heard the stories like, oh, no, Aunt Mabel, don't get her. You know, she suddenly there's like this inner racist that came out. It's like <laughs> nasty, you know, or something that yeah, happened, everyone's right? Yeah, sort of like, oh, oh my goodness. You know, um, she's old, right? The, you have the explanations yeah. for it. But to say that, to, to say that, as wrong as it is, by the way, I think there were more destructive things possibly. Maybe, I don't know, the KKK and the 3,900 lynchings. Yeah, I think there could have been. <laughs> uh, maybe possibly. Maybe slavery. I don't know. Just making stuff up here, uh, pulling it out. But but for him to say that is an act of othering. So he's saying today, our tribe, it's okay to point at those other people who might have the red hat on. And and I've told you it's okay. It's hunting, open hunting season. Mm-hmm. They are the worst it's this cultural thing that's ever happened in our country. That's yeah. othering. That's, that's awful. Right? That happened to the truckers in Canada. Yeah, I know it did. Well, it happened to Racist, lots of people. Racist, misogynist, you know, all this stuff. That othering. It, so that that's the first, that's what happens in, in wars and civil wars. Mm-hmm. The first thing you have to do is dehumanize the opposition. Mm-hmm. You have to other them. That, that's been going on a while. And that's the whole rat in a cage thing. So that's where this whole conversation started. That rat in a yeah. cage thing is getting people to point their fingers at each other because that then they forget or don't notice to point where the actual shocks are coming from. I think it's perfectly legitimate for people to show up in the street and say, I'm unhappy. I'm shocked. I don't like this. Mm-hmm. This feels bad. Or but the say, problem is it isn't the other person on the street that they see no, who's causing not. any of their misery. It's They're not. not the cause of any of it. And so isn't it interesting that we never have that, that up-down sort of protesting. Well, I wouldn't say that nobody else does. I mean, we can cause misery and we can be uninformed in our own lives. That can happen. And we can be, you know, we cannot take responsibility for ourselves. I'm talking at sort of a systemic structural level. The reason that, you know, economist David Graeber said that most people have bullshit jobs. His definition of a bullshit job was it could go away. You could not show up for your work and nothing ever happens to society. Like nothing bad happens, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know? And so that's a, that's a, we, we develop our identity. So you, the, the mental con- around what we do and how we show up in the world. And so to the mental adjustments you have to force yourself into to make sense of that leads to things like Matthias Desmond saying that in a nation of 11 million people, they had 300 million doses of antidepressants administered in Belgium last year. 11 million people, 300 million doses of antidepressants. So the story there is, oh, look at these unhappy people. Maybe, maybe it's not the people who are unhappy. Maybe the people are trying to force fit into a system that sucks. Mm -hmm. And the problem is not solved by giving them happy pills so that they feel better about being part of a crappy system. Maybe we should address the crappy system, but that's what the system never wants to have is in a conversation about that. So here's your happy pill. Mm Mm-hmm. That's that's how the whole thing rolls. So there's another quote that's coming to my brain about being well adjusted to a profoundly sick society. Jay <clears throat> it's Krishnamurti. No measure of, yeah. Of health. <clears throat> it's a good one. Mm-hmm. It's a good one. All right. 
Mark, I didn't, was Harding, I didn't quite catch that. Important to build skills. Yes. Yes, particularly skills that do not require the existing advanced economy or are useful in a more simple economy, i.e. manual skills like carpentry or food preservation or entertainment, meaning banjo, um, penny whistle, music, Music. um, taking care of kids, um, distilling, uh, being a good gardener, being a master herbalist, all those skills. Yeah, Mark, Mm -hmm. great, great point. So, yes, those things should absolutely, um, skills are top of my list i love learning new stuff it's fun isn't it i learn it by just doing and making mistakes that you call me strong forward so evie knows it so so evie's a little bit more cautious than i am i just start stuff i make i make tons of messes (laughs) just a few honey just Just a a few Hmm. it's fine but (laughs) what if you don't have a place to plant a garden majufi asks um so if you if you don't Ooh. don't 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 like like you don't have a balcony, um, you're in it or your balcony's on the north side of your apartment complex, uh, so <laughs> you can always see if you can support local farmers. I have another idea. He could potentially adopt a piece of um, you know how there are those little like uh, triangles when they have roads going different ways and sometimes businesses will adopt them you could just ask the town if there's a piece of land that you could potentially caretake and there's a there's a way to garden so that you're growing some kale and you're sneaking some other vegetables in there maybe with some beautiful flowers for your community wherever that is it's possible to use like um, old wine barrels you know cut in half a lot of people will grow in those or or five gallon buckets you can get those from restaurants and places that are done with them what if you live in phoenix oh (laughs) (laughs) i went there it's pretty dry it's 110 out your wine barrel is gonna like shrivel and okay Uh, uh, so for that there's oh you if you have if you have an indoors let's assume you're not homeless in in phoenix and then you know move um the the answer would be that uh you can do hydroponics indoors. They have these little towers that, that people just mm-hmm. growing. So just being connected to growing is its own magic for starters. Um, yeah. And so that can happen or barring that local farms, um, make sure that you're buying your food from local farms. You develop a relationship with them. They have CSA programs um, just because demand creates supply, not the other way around. So as soon as people locally are demanding more food, trust me, the farmers will figure out how to grow it. Um, so get the demand up there for sure. Uh, so yes, I would, I would highly recommend that. But if you fundamentally live in a place where like Phoenix and there are no chances to farm at all, I personally wouldn't live there. Um, I would Mm -hmm. move out. And by the way, super shocking article just came out in New York times yesterday talking about how Lake Powell, which is upstream in the Colorado river from Lake Mead, which is downstream, they stopped releasing water from Lake Powell. And we already know like both those lake systems are in deep, deep trouble reservoir systems. And so they've stopped first time in history. They're not releasing water downstream. And so my question to all you people living who are dependent on both the electricity and the water from those, that Lake Mead system is, what would your property be worth and how secure is your job if the water and maybe the electricity goes away? You need mm-hmm. to resolve that question because we're getting to that part of the story where mm-hmm. we're seeing those sorts of pressures build where it's like, oh, you know, this is, it's, it's not going to be like it used to be. Um, the last 20 years are a poor guide. You know, it's going to be, it's That's a right. very different world we're coming into. That 1,200-year drought in the West, Southwest, it's really bad. Mm. And so I think people who are forethoughtful for about this need to ask the question, what if this doesn't resolve in the next few years, which it might, 
rains could come. But if it doesn't, what are your plans? What's your plan B? So yeah. if I didn't have access to food and I didn't know how to grow it, couldn't grow it, lived in Phoenix, I would have a plan B in that story for myself mm-hmm. personally. Maybe a family somewhere, a friend somewhere else. All right. Now we're going to turn to Lisa G saying, um, what if they ban gardening, though? Now, this would be a great time to start rioting. Exactly. Cue the riots now. Cue the riots because that's unacceptable, you know, but maybe that would, you know what? It's so crazy now. Maybe that actually starts to happen, right? I could easily see like because of bird flu, you can't have chickens anymore or you can feel it all closing in. You can. Well, also what, I mean, Bill Gates has been buying farmland. What's the pattern? They don't like us being able to take care of ourselves. They don't like us being autonomous. They don't like us to have self-control. They like that for themselves, but they don't want us to have that. That's that's sort of the model I see running. Um, if they ban gardening, if it's really bad and it can't be overturned, I would move, mm-hmm. I guess. And if you can't move, then um, – but that's unacceptable. That would be completely – That's, yeah. you know what? We have to find where those bright red lines in the sand are. You have to figure out where the lines are <laughs> and say, if they cross that line – you know, because by the time if you haven't made that decision in advance, by the time that line is crossed, it's too late to sort of figure out what you're going to do about it. That would be a hard line in my sand. Mm-hmm. You know, no, absolutely not. Um, so yeah. and it's hard. I mean, if you lived in a place where it was not secure and you were concerned for your safety, I mean, I can see lots of different situations that would preclude gardening from being an easy thing to to start up, right? Yep. I mean, the people in Ukraine, for example, that are at the mercy of the a-holes that have decided what's going to be happening there, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure they're not really thinking about that at this moment. Yep. Um, All right. We've got we another one. More? Yeah, we got more coming up. Oh, wait. From wait. Kevin, what period of historical time most resembles our current U.S. situation? I've heard the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, the 70s. I've also heard it resembles Japan in the 90s. What histories are you comparing our situation to? All right. That's a good question. It's a great question. Um, there are some parallels, uh, but there's something else that's different. This is, I'm really allergic to saying this. I'm going to spank myself because you should never say this, but this time is different. Um, <laughs> and uh, the reason that this time is different. So here are the things that are different before I get into the parallels. Here's what's different. We have nearly 8 billion people on the planet. We clearly have hit peak conventional oil we're making up the difference at the margins with some crazy stuff shale oil oil shales eventually um tar sands orinoco belt sludge down in venezuela it's just um so we're going to try and figure out how to continue to operate our exponential money system and our exponential economic system without exponentially growing energy it's not going to work those two ships are sailing apart from each other at this point in time um and so the parallel, at least historically, that I have at this time monetarily is the 70s. Uh, it looks to me like we're going to hit a period of stagflation. Stagflation doesn't sound that bad. Stag parties. I've heard they're fun. Um, so what does that mean? Stagflation is a period of high inflation and low or even negative economic growth. And that's really painful because people are losing their jobs and their costs are rising at the same time. Very painful. That's what it feels like we're, we're about to enter. Right now, jobs are still fairly plentiful in the U.S., all that. I get that. But, again, the two, those ships are just starting to separate. Yeah. So as we come into that stagflationary period, the reason we're going to have that low economic growth, though, is because we are not having the energy to support the growth that we need. Energy is the economy. 
If diesel $6 a gallon, which it is in a lot of places now in the U.S., that's an, uh, that, wow, high price. Actually, that means the supply isn't there. So that low supply means, who knows what it means? It means stuff isn't being trucked, isn't moved, isn't built, isn't mined, isn't hauled. We can't predict what all those things are, but I can predict it means less economy. So less economy, that's the very definition of stagflation. I think that's going to be a useful metaphor. Now, in the 70s, we came in the Federal Reserve, we came out of the Arthur Burns era into the Paul Volcker era. Paul Volcker, six foot five, cigar chomping, Texan, big, big guy, not scared of anything. Only Federal Reserve chairman ever to be hung in effigy on the Washington Mall. Um, was asked in an interview, hey, if you knew you had to raise short-term interest rates to 21%, what would you have done? And he just took his cigar out and thought a minute and said, I would have curled up under my desk and cried, right? It's like he didn't he didn't know how painful that was going to be. We do not have somebody of his caliber today. So that's why we're not kind of in the 70s because we just saw the Federal Reserve raised rates a 50 basis points, a whole half a percent, right? <laughs> At this level of inflation in the 70s, interest rates were 12%. Can you imagine, do you, can you even in your wildest dream think that we have any Federal Reserve people who have the stones to raise interest rates to 12%? We're still under a 1%. We, we just went up, we just, we just went to just under a per, 1%. 1%. They're going to cry like babies at 3%. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no way they're going to get to 11%. So they're not going to be able to do what we had in the 70s. So that's why it is different this time. It's, you know, a lot of sort of different plays. But... Um, we have Europe in the same trouble, Japan in the same trouble. So actually in the seventies as well, we had different pockets that were in doing differently. Now they're all kind of one organism. Mm. We're all in the same boat. So there's really no Global good place economy. to, no good place to run. But I think if you want to understand, you know, what the seventies, at least to me is useful because it answers this question. When I asked earlier, who's going to eat the losses, you're not going to, this is going to be a period defined in Mike Maloney terms as the great wealth transfer. And the way you avoid being on the wrong side of the great wealth transfer is you don't hold paper financial products. You hold real wealth. You hold trees and rocks and soil and gold and silver and the means of production and lumber, like real stuff. That's that's this next era that I see coming. Um, it's very easy to foresee for me because we have... We've all been sort of like confused and, you know, how wealthy are you? Tell me how many paper digits you have that actually are just ones and zeros and hard disks. That's over. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what's ending right now. And so uh, like the 70s, uh, like the Weimar period in uh, from 1918 to 23, uh, like Zimbabwe from 97 to 2008, the people who did the best had real wealth. And good, strong social connections. So um, those mm. are very, very, very important. All right. We have as well from uh, High Tones Drifter. Did I read that right and when it came up quick? <laughs> yes. High Tones Drifter. Kent, peak stupidity. Are we almost there yet? Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> I keep thinking we are, but they're all false summits. Um, <laughs> so I, I hope so. That's the worst when you think you're almost done and you're not. Nope, you get over that. Punishing mountain. That summit, no, no, not even close to done. (laughs) I don't know, Ken. I hope hope we've reached peak stupidity, but um, no, some people are really doubling down on their positions in this story. That's true. 
how it is. And apparently we've got another one on the way here uh, from Safwan Ahmad. Uh, do you have a plant that you can't get enough of? For me, it's bananas. Ooh, hmm. can't get enough of. Depends on the season. That's the graham cracker plant for you. <laughs> <laughs> the graham cracker plant. It's true. You no, like crunchy well, things. Crackers, chips. It depends on the season. So, up on oil. so I really like my Concord grapes a lot because they make tasty, tasty juice, but super loaded with antioxidants. So mm. I consider it medicinal treats. Um, and it's the best kind of medicine. Oh, it tastes so good. But I, if I had to pick one, it would be the potato plant. Potatoes are a little boring. That like, You know what's great? Like, I love fresh garden veggies. I love them. And there's no difference to me between a store-bought potato and one that just came out of the ground. They're just a potato's a potato. I can't tell a difference. <laughs> I can't. But in terms of ease of use and calories returned and storability and ease of growing, mm. if I had to, like, if they said you only get to choose one plant, you got to go try and survive off of, mm -hmm. that would be it. It would be the potato. Yeah, I agree. Well, there's a reason why people planted it in other parts of the world when things were scary, you know, during famines. Um, but that's just baseload calories. I mean, if you said I had to live in a sealed container and I only got one plant, it would have to be a bean of some kind because it actually makes protein mm -hmm. out of the air. Um, yeah, it, it fixes does. nitrogen on its own, and you can store beans pretty easily. You can eat them as green beans, but you can let them grow longer and yeah. store them as dried beans too. So I like beans a lot. I was researching that the other day because I wanted to understand like what crops would be the easiest for humans to harvest or the most difficult and why, and then what ones actually had a decent return, calorically speaking. And that's that's going to be interesting to try and break that down because we're not going to be working with the twenty five hundred calorie, you know, intake anymore. Yeah. I think that's also going to go away to some extent. I don't think we need to eat that much. Yeah, I think we've gotten accustomed to it in the West. Um, I have something to read at some point. I can do it later on too. All right? How are we doing on at the end? Or I can. Poke well, it I in think somewhere. you know what we're getting there. Let's wrap this up. So, let's go there. Yeah. All right. I think this was an interesting thing. So I've been really getting into Annie Dillard lately. Um, she's a fantastic writer. And of course, there are philo philosophers that I enjoy as well. Um, she just had a unique connection to nature around her in a way that was so profound for a person who wrote about it with such finesse and grace. Um, so this... Uh, this one is from um, her book, Pilgrim at Tinker Creek, and she writes, I am a frayed and nibbled survivor in a fallen world, and I'm getting along. I'm aging and eaten and have done my share of eating, too. I am not washed and beautiful in control of a shining world in which everything fits, but instead am wondering, awed about a on a splintered wreck I've come to care for, whose gnawed trees breathe a delicate air, whose bloodied and scarred creatures are my dearest companions, and whose beauty bats and shines not in its imperfections, but overwhelmingly in spite of them. And I thought that was a really wonderful sort of way to bring things back to a meaningful place, which is in spite of everything we're challenged with, we're given this incredible gift of being alive. 
of making memories, not accumulating things that we're going to hold on to forever and ever, because we have to release those as well when we die. So not to get dark and morbid, but... Well, I tie it back to this episode and thinking about all those people who got um, jerked hither and yon. Oh, my God, COVID, George Floyd, vaccinations, Ukraine, Roe versus Wade, that ultimately you're not if you're not in control of your own emotional state and what you choose to give your attention to and you outsource that to other people you get the dim opportunity to wake up someday and realize that somebody else was in control of your experience of life and they had different designs on it than maybe your soul's desire so it's it's fundamentally wasteful mm-hmm. right so this is really uh, you unpack everything that i want to do in the world is i, I want to invite people to wake up to this great mystery of life like it's really mysterious we should be more humble about it and we should be more in awe of it. And those are shoulds that I'm going to use carefully here. We shouldn't have the experience of going outside and finding no bees on our dandelions. That mm-hmm. shouldn't be happening. Right. So that's why I do what I do. So um, listen, uh, that's we're going to be wrapping this up here today. Evie, thank you so much here. My Ryan, pleasure. Aaron. And by the way, we have part two of last week. We talk about uh, real estate. So if you're interested in what my thoughts are about the real estate market and why I think that's busy imploding and why that's a little bit of an early call, but not that early, come on by peakprosperity.com, peakprosperity.com slash membership if you aren't a member. Otherwise, if you are a member, hey, come on back and check that out and have the conversation. Really rich comments back there. Uh, Great tribe of people. So if you like these kinds of conversations and you love common sense and you like being early to stuff, come on by Peak Prosperity. So with that, thank you very much, everybody, for your time. And it's great being here with you. Great questions. We'll do this again. Give us any feedback you want about what works, what doesn't work, what you would love to see more of, less of, all of that, because we're just busy trying to figure out how to um, do the best we can for you. So with that, thanks, everyone. And we will see you next time. All right. Bye.